keeps us from seeing Christ like we ought to as the most important and greatest thing of our lives. Father, would you help us in 2019 to find our rest in Christ? Would you encourage us now through the study of the Word? Lord, we recognize that you are a holy God and you are worthy of all of our praise. And we look forward to praising you for all of eternity. Would you help us now to worship and continue and extend our time of praise and worship even as we sit quietly and receive the word? Use it well in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, so I was wondering how many of you have been um, adding up the, the birth years, the, the years in the obituary and studying your obituary every week, coming up with your average um, how many of you went home last week and changed your air filters in your furnace? <laughs> More importantly, how many of you read your Bible last week? Don't raise your hand. We're going to begin 2019 with a focus on our Bibles. We're going to spend the next three Sundays in Psalm 119, and I invite you to turn there in your Bibles this morning. Um, even as you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119... Would you just stop and think for me a minute about this reality, that God has spoken to us. God has spoken to us. It seems to me that if we believe that God has spoken to us, and we hold in our hands today an authoritative, reliable copy of His speaking to us, that everything else around us should pale in comparison to the priority and the importance of receiving the Word of God. You know, you don't read in your Bibles very, very far into your Scripture when you begin reading uh, in Genesis, for example. You don't go very far and you realize that the Word of God really matters, that when God speaks, He expects His people to listen and to obey. I mean, right away we have the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, don't we? What a, what a phenomenal utopian environment in which they lived. And, and they had the blessing of God upon them and even the presence of God walking with them in the cool of the evening. And they just had one instruction. God said, do not eat of this tree. <laughs> ah, God spoke. Ah, you know... It's not that big of a deal. I know what he said, but it really looks good. It smells good. It tastes good. And so God speaks, and they ignore, they disregard, they disobey. The results, as you well know, are cataclysmic. I mean, we have story after story after story in our Bibles, don't we? God has spoken. It really matters. I'm, I'm thinking about God's servant Moses, for example. I mean, he's leading the, the exodus. God's people are coming up out of Egypt. They're heading to, to the promised land. And Moses, this great man, this great leader, and they're out in the desert, and of course they get thirsty. And God's people are thirsty, and, and there's a lot of them. And, and Moses is upset, and God is upset, and the people are upset. And, and God says to Moses, turn around and speak to that rock right there, and I'll split it open and water, bubbling brooks of pure drinking water will flow. 
By that time, Moses is so ticked off at the people. He's lost his temper. He turns around, takes his staff, and he, and he wails the fire out of the rock. It changed his life. What was the big deal? God said, speak to the rock. Moses takes his rod and smacks it twice. You see, the, the rock was a symbol. The rock was a, an example, an illustration of the mercy of God that would flow. God spoke. Who cares? Well, as we've turned in our Bibles to Psalm 119, I want us to to just take time this morning and then the next two Sundays to just focus upon the Word of God. And you'll find that Psalm 119 is a, is a chapter in the Bible that is all about the Bible. In fact, as we begin this morning, I want us to just take some time and look at information from Psalm 119. I've been saying to myself and to others a little bit, we're going to look at Psalm 119 for 2019 because the Word of God really matters. And we need to care about the fact that God has spoken. And it's my prayer that I would be characterized and our church would be characterized by Bible-saturated Christians. I want to take just a minute and click off a little bit of basic information about Psalm 119 because it might be new to some of you. It's interesting to me that uh, this is the longest chapter in all of the Bible and it's all about the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Bible. It's, it's a little bit interesting to me, and you could try it sometime. Mine is offset just a little bit. If I split my Bible down the middle, I come open at Isaiah or Jeremiah. Uh, depending on how your Bible is bound and what you have in the back of your Bible with notes and maps, if you split your Bible down the middle, you will just about open it at Psalm 119. It almost seems symbolic, doesn't it, that, that the Bible itself centers on this chapter that is all about the Bible. It's really important. If the longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible, then it's really important. Now, you can say this as well. The shortest chapter in the Bible is really important as well. And in fact, one of the shortest chapters in the Bible is about the Bible, and that's Psalm 1. Psalm 1 and Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, as I've already referenced, are three key psalms that are all about the Bible. It might be of interest to you to know that we don't know for sure who wrote Psalm 119. We do know that David, we're quite confident that David wrote Psalm 19. He wrote many of the Psalms. Some think that maybe David did write Psalm 119 or Daniel or Ezra. Bible students uh, debate and are divided. We don't know, so uh, we don't need to know. Now, here's an interesting thing about Psalm 119. It's the longest Psalm, but it's divided into 22 sections. And the reason it's divided into 22 sections, 176 verses, it's divided into 22 sections because the Hebrew alphabet, and this psalm was originally written in Hebrew, not English. It's been translated into English. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, if you look in your Bible, um, I suspect that for many of you, your Bible notates these little funny words that you don't know what they are. For example, at the beginning of Psalm 119.1, and the first eight verses are headed by a word that's A-L-E-P-H, Aleph. Well, that's the letter A in the Hebrew uh, alphabet. And then right before verse 9, there's a section in my Bible. It puts the word Beth. Well, that's not a girl's name. That's the letter B 
in the Hebrew alphabet. And then Gimel, and I don't even know how to pronounce the, the Hebrew alphabet. I struggle with the English alphabet myself a little bit. But you can see that every eight verses, there is a word, and that is actually the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So let me just read back to you what I've written on point C in our outline, if you're paying attention to your outline. So this psalm is an acrostic. So the writer sat down and he made an acrostic following the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So there are 22 sections. Each section is of eight verses each. And all eight verses in each of the 22 sections begin with that corresponding or particular letter of the alphabet. So that means that on each line, for example, of verses 1 through 8, every line, each of those eight lines in the Hebrew, not in, doesn't translate over into the English, but in the Hebrew when he wrote it, they all begin with the letter A of the Hebrew alphabet, and then each of the eight lines in there begin with the letter A, and then the same thing with the next eight verses 9 through 16 begin with Beth, the letter B of the Hebrew alphabet, and so on. And there's 22 letters. Each of those letters then begin eight lines that begin with that letter, and you have the acrostic. And so therefore, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet with eight lines each, and each line is a verse, equals 176 verses. And we have the longest chapter in our Bible, and every single one of those verses is about the Bible, I think you're only going to find three or four verses in all of Psalm 119 that doesn't use a word or a synonym for the Word of God. And that leads us to our next point, letter D in our notes. The psalmist will use in this Psalm 119, he will use 10 different synonyms to describe the Word of God. He will use, for example, the word law, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, we read in Psalm 19. The law is used in Psalm 119. It is used 25 different times in this text to describe the Word of God. Testimonies, another word. It's going to be used 22 times to describe the Word of God. The word ways, to walk in the ways of the Lord, W-A-Y-S, walking in the way or ways of the Lord. That's going to be used five times. Precepts, a precept. Um, is going to be used 21 times. Statutes, a declaration or a statute, is going to be used 21 times. Commandments, speaking of the word of the Lord, giving a command, is used 21 times. The word judgments, the judgments of the Lord. And that's the idea um, of a judicial edict. He has made a declaration as the judge. The judgments of the Lord. That's not uh, an act of judgment throwing someone in prison. It's a, it's a declaration. That's going to be used 19 times. The word word or words, the word of the Lord or the words of the Lord is going to be used 25 times and sayings 19 times and path, a, a path or walking in the path of the Lord five times, okay? So when you read this, it would be a good exercise for you and I'm going to suggest at the end of the sermon as you read your Bible in 2019, that it's a great idea to get a Bible that you're comfortable to write in. Not everybody likes to write in their Bible. And so I want to encourage you to get a Bible uh, that you're comfortable to write in. And one of the things that would make an excellent exercise is to just read in the next few weeks through Psalm 119. It'd be good to do it several times. But as you go through, just circle these synonyms and just note how they're used. And so as we read this Bible, this 
as we study this chapter in our Bibles, we know we're studying the longest chapter. It's all about the Word of God, the Bible. And uh, it's this interesting acrostic, and he's using synonyms. And then I already mentioned that there are three other chapters, two other chapters along with this, with these three chapters combined that are about the Word of God. Let me show you that. We've already read um, a section out of Psalm 19. Let's go to Psalm 1, and let's just stop right now and read the Word again. And let's read Psalm 1 together. Uh, and you listen, and I'll read. Um, it would be nice to be able to read together. I didn't have it prepared for the screens, um, but with our multiple translations in the, in the chairs today, you would, we would be really jumbled up. Psalm 1. And notice how it's about the Word of God and the priority and what it does to the person who walks in the truth. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in what? There it is, the law of the Lord. That's the Word of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so that leads us right into our motivation for 2019. Our motivation for studying the Word of God is what was stated right here in Psalm 1 as it begins. Blessed is the man or the person, that's humankind, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but it is contrasted by the individual who is committed to walking. And the word walk here, it doesn't mean taking a walk for exercise. It's a, it's a descriptive term for the the total sum total of the direction of your life. It's the idea of the, of the decision-making processes of your life on a day-to-day basis as you walk through your day. What are you doing? You're making choices and you're making decisions. And, and it, is, it is the way in which you live your life. It's the word walk is used as a description of that. We're back in Psalm 119 and we're going to recognize, just like what we read in Psalm 1 just now, Um, first letter A under Roman numeral 2, if you're following in your outline, that the Word of God is the key to spiritual prosperity. It's the key to spiritual prosperity. Psalm 1 just described that to us. In contrast to the way of the wicked, who's going to be like like chaff that dries up and blows away in the wind, the person who's committed to walking in the Word of God Living and obeying and hearing the word of God, they're going to be, he uses the word picture there, of a tree planted by rivers of water. It's the idea of an oasis in the desert. The idea of in a dry and arid land where the wicked are blown around. And there is this spot where there's water and the tree roots have their water. And there is a strong, healthy, vibrant, growing individual. The word of God does that. And that's blessing. It's first and foremost means spiritual blessing. But do you know that spiritual blessing often leads to a blessed life? Now, this is abused by televangelists and even um, other churches around us even. They will abuse this idea that if you will commit your life to God, man, it's really going to be good. It's going to improve your golf game. You're going to be able to drive a better car. You know, maybe not. 
Maybe the most difficult thing you'll ever do in your life is to be committed to God and to walk in his truth. And it might divide your family and it, and it might create problems at work. And it, it, it just sometimes it, it means a lot. The Apostle Paul used to get beat up over it. He got beaten with rocks and rods and whips because of the word of God. And he, it's like, this is great. Let's go get beat up again. But I was thinking about how spiritual blessings often lead to just a greater blessing in your life. When you listen and heed the word of God, you grow spiritually, you make better decisions. When you make better decisions, you're walking in the will of God. The blessing of God then comes upon your life. I remember seeing this so clearly, maybe for the first time in my life. When I was 27 years old, the summer of uh, 1988, I graduated from high school in 1978, and 10 years later, in 1988, um, four years into full-time youth pastor ministry, Janet and I drove to Kalamazoo, Michigan uh, to my 10-year high school reunion. It was just really remarkable to me. Now... I know that you think I'm a really cool dude right now, but when I was in high school, I wasn't really a cool dude. I just milked cows, and I just obeyed my mom and dad, and I, I just bailed hay and stuff, and I was just a guy, played the trumpet in the band, stuff like that. When I walked in to my 10-year high school reunion, I started looking around for all the cool dudes, all the high school, the, all the, the football players and the wrestler. I remember this one guy especially. He was a cool dude. He, he was good-looking, well-built, um, wore shirt sleeves that showed his muscles. He, he was a wrestler and a, and a drummer in a rock and roll band, and he was a cool guy. And I was looking around, and I see this way overweight guy with his hair and his eyes drinking in the corner all by himself. I said, who's that? Well, that's it's him. Said, You're kidding me. And I went around and started talking to people. You know, things are going pretty well. We're only 10 years out of high school. And some of them are already working on their second marriage and things just aren't going well. And it just, I don't know, it was just like, like I put on a pair of glasses or something. And all of a sudden, everything my dad told me that the gospel changes everything. That you walk with the Lord and he'll bless your life, man. Everything my dad told me, like at age 27 in the summer of 1988, became clearer to me than ever before. I'm still not a cool dude, but my bills are paid. My, I love my wife, and, and the Lord is just using us, and I can mow my lawn in straight lines, and I, I don't back into posts that night because I've been drinking. And There's just many ways that God begins to bless your life when it begins with spiritual blessing. You know, we want this life, don't you? Don't you want your life to be blessed? It seems to me that all Christians would have a longing in their heart for themselves and for their children that they would just live a blessed life. It doesn't mean that Christians don't get cancer. It doesn't mean that grandpa doesn't die before we're ready for him to die. But when you back up and you look at the sum total of your life, God's just blessing us. What does it mean? It means... It means freedom from a guilty conscience, doesn't it? A blessed life. It means that that 
as I set goals and, and I make choices in my life, I'm making righteous decisions. And I don't make decisions that end up being like, you might as well go park your car on your foot today to make that decision. Because you have a spiritual wisdom, you have a spiritual blessing, you're growing in understanding, you have pure motives in what you're doing, you're not playing games, you're not trying to deceive anybody, you have a quiet heart, free of worry in the chaos of life, you're seeing even God answer prayer in your life, you have a confidence and a peace that comes from just trusting the promises of God. So on a day when the ceiling leaks, you don't throw a temper tantrum. You, you just say, well, the Lord's going to take care of us today. And you're just blessed. You want that kind of life. You want your children to grow up and make decisions that lead to the blessing of God. Listen to me. The key to blessing is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. God has spoken. It really matters what he said. In the NIV study Bible, it gives this definition for blessed or, or being blessed or the blessed life. The happy condition of those who revere the Lord and do his will. I thought that was good. The happy condition. You say, how are you today? I'm in a happy condition. You know, I might not be cracking jokes, but the peace that passes all understanding is mine. I'm walking in the truth. And the blessing of God is very real in my life. That's the way I want it to be. And so there's spiritual prosperity to look forward to in 2019 as we humble ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. Secondly, I want you to see that the Word of God demands our fidelity. It demands our fidelity. So he begins Psalm 119. Let's read it. I don't think we read these eight verses yet, have we? Psalm 119, 1 through 8. Have I read this yet? What service is this? It's the second service, isn't it? Okay. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. There it is. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. That's what I've been talking about. I thought I already read it, but there it is. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Now, I want to focus on the end of verse 2 here for just a minute. We've, we've been talking, number one, about that the Word of God is the key to spiritual prosperity. That's blessing. The blessing of God comes from the Word of God. But then notice what he says at the end of verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who, who seek him with their whole heart. That's the fidelity. You could kind of equate this with a relationship between a husband and a wife or a couple that's engaged to be married. Let's, let's use that picture. A couple engaged to be married. Oh, life is good. It's exciting and we're anticipating many good things. And then one day the guy shows up a little bit late and the girl says, well, I thought we were going to go to Dairy Queen and get a blizzard at seven o'clock tonight. How come you're late? He said, oh, I was just out with my other girl. What? Yeah, there's a girl up the street. She, Don't worry, I'm not going to marry her. I'm going to marry you. What do you mean you're out with... Oh, I didn't take her to Dairy Queen for a blizzard. I'm taking you to Dairy Queen for a blizzard. We went to Sheets and got a Slurpee. <laughs> you see, when there's a lack of fidelity in relationship, it doesn't work. And, and what he's talking about here, and notice how he says in verse 3, who do no wrong. 
Okay, so the person in the room today who does no wrong, raise your hand. Some wives just elbowed their husband. You don't think you ever do anything. We all do wrong. The, the psalmist did wrong. If David's the one who wrote this psalm, we know he did wrong. He, he was a disaster half the time. So what's he talking about? He's talking about this idea of that, that it's the desire of my heart to do right and to be committed. You see, if you're engaged to be married, commitment and fidelity, or if you're married, fidelity is essential to a wholesome relationship. It's not going to work to go two-timing. And that's what he's talking about here. Lord, bless me through your word, but then let my whole heart be given over to you. And so the blessing of 2019 contingent, the word of God in my life has a lot to do with, with my fidelity in my relationship with God. And, and, and aren't we easily distracted by the glitz and glamour of the world? The psalmist wrote this in another way in Psalm 86. Turn to Psalm 86.11. Will you turn in your Bible with me, please? Psalm 86.11. It's just back about 15 pages to Psalm 86.11. Notice what he says here. He says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Now look at this. Unite my heart to fear your name. Do you get that? The ESV translates the word, unite my heart, okay? Unite my heart to fear your name. The NIV puts it this way, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Give me an undivided, that's fidelity, isn't it? An undivided heart is a heart that's true, that's one directional. So the guy who went and took his neighbor girl out the sheets for the Slurpee, he has a divided heart. And the girl that he's going to marry and take the Dairy Queen for a blizzard, a pecan cluster blizzard, by the way, that girl, she doesn't care. He says, he spends the whole evening convincing her that you've got seven-eighths of my heart. That girl over there's only got one-eighth of my heart. What are you worrying about? The psalmist said, it doesn't work that way. Lord, my whole heart... That's what the Word of God does to us. It exposes our hearts. It shows us the level of our fidelity. And so the Word of God then must be our priority. Number three, the Word of God, letter C, must be our priority. Look at verse four. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Now let's just read that verse again. You, that's God, have commanded. He didn't say suggested. You have commanded um, your precepts, there's one of the synonyms, to be kept diligently. The NIV translates, where the ESV translates the word diligently, and I think the New King James does as well, the NIV translates it to be fully obeyed. It means spot on. Don't, don't get off to the side here. It's not good enough. Now you stop and think about it. We really struggle with this point. You say, um, think the Bible's important? Yeah, the Bible's important. Do you think obeying the Bible's important? Yeah, yeah, it's important. Then why do I do half of what I do? Well, I know, but I know I am. I'm trying. I'm trying. And it's pretty good. I'm pretty close. 
So let's take this illustration um, to uh, the friendly skies and you're flying in a jetliner and the, and the pilot gets on and you're coming into Dulles Airport on your way home from your vacation or a business trip and, and he said, hey folks, we're heading into home. We should be home in about 45 minutes and we're going to try really hard to hit the runway. <laughs> By the way, it'll be pretty close. Pretty close. You see, this kind of language here isn't, it's not like a list of uh, helpful hints from Heloise. He's like, this is my commands. It's my commands. That's why even as I suggested as we opened up that this whole idea of God has spoken becomes very, very important. And that the testimony of Scripture is that when God has spoken, He means what He says. And when we don't pay attention, we get into heap big trouble. Lots of problems. And none of us want to be on that airplane that's saying, hey, you know, pretty much, I most of the time land on the runway. A lot of us approach the Bible and God says, you're supposed to land right down the middle here. And that's what he means, to be fully obeyed, that I would do no wrong. Let's equate this to the husband and wife relationship. Nobody's perfect in their marriage. You know that. Nobody is 100% on all the time. But you can still be characterized by fully committed to your spouse, right? Fully committed to this home. Fully committed to this marriage. I'm, I'm all in on this thing. But you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm all in. That's what the psalmist is saying. And in fact, he defines reality that way. Letter D, the Word of God forces us to face reality because look what he says in verse 5. It's like he's talking about the Word of God, the blessing that the Word of God brings. And then in verse 5 he says, kind of like he turns his head upward and he begins to pray, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. We have two synonyms there. Ways, oh, that, well, that's my ways, not God's ways. Statutes is the synonym there for the Word of God. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. What's he saying? He's saying, I know that I don't always land that plane right down the middle of the runway. Sometimes I hit the grass. I remember when I was taking flying lessons at the Beckley Airport, sometimes my flight instructor, we would just take off on a taxiway instead of on the big airport. We'd just turn out, and we'd be on a taxiway, and off we'd go. That would shake you up in a big plane. So that's good enough. He's like, I don't always land or take off on the right runway. Sometimes I kind of do things my way. Oh, that my ways were really steadfast. It's the prayer of his life that he would, would be characterized by fidelity and a commitment to the word of God. The reality of his life is, is that this is a struggle. reality of our lives is that this is a struggle, isn't it? Oh, if we would just bring ourselves in humility under the authority of the Word of God. And we're going to keep talking about this the next couple weeks. One thing we want to answer even is why this book? What what makes this book so special? He goes on. Let's just finish the psalm. He says, oh, verse 5 again. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I shall not be put to shame. Just keeping his commandments. Yesterday morning at the men and boys breakfast, our guest speaker referenced two gentlemen in his ministry life that 
years ago and then not so long ago, two men who in their mature years really made bad choices outside of the will of God and created tremendous problem in their lives. And he was saying how both of them said the same thing. He heard it twice, years ago and then not long ago, where this individual who had entered into, a, into sin in brokenness over their bad decisions and being outside the will of God and disregarding the word of God, both of them said this. They said, why didn't God just kill me? Why didn't God just take me home before I did this stuff? That's shame, isn't it? That I would, verse 6, not be put to shame. You see, the word of God will keep you from shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I've got to pay attention to the whole book. Verse 7, and then I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. There's a little bit of a timing word there, isn't there? When I learn your righteous rules. How many of you think you're going to learn all of the Bible and all that God has to say and all about it in this lifetime? But instead of letting it discourage us, we ought to still make that our goal. And the, the psalmist kind of implies that there is a process here. And as I learn, when I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Don't give up on me, God. Don't give up on me. I'm a work in process. And there's the first eight verses of Psalm 119. Provides a motivation for us, I think, to make the Word of God a priority. Do you remember being in kids' Sunday school years ago? I'm sure this song is way too uncool to sing in our junior church. I think we ought to. You could take a note of that. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, Bible. Do you sing that in our... There you go. That's why that young man's on my staff. Why wouldn't you sing that song? Why isn't that the theme song of all of us for 2019? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. So, you know, I think you all would agree with me. I, I think I'm preaching to the choir here. The Bible's important. It's the book of blessing. It's the way to go. And so, if I want a blessed life, and everybody wants a blessed life, and I want my kids to live a blessed life, and I believe the Bible is the key to that blessing, that, that idea that I'm in a happy condition, and I revere the Lord, and I do His will. Why is it then, let's be honest here, transparent, we're always honest, let's be transparent, why is it so difficult to just be consistently in the book? So let me just end with a few practical thoughts, and this is going to combine with the next two weeks, and the whole thing is stirring the pot of our lives that the Word of God be that much more important to us and that we engage with it in 2019. I'm going to click this off fairly quickly, but I want to suggest and just help our mindset a little bit here. Why then am I not more committed to the Word of God if I really believe that it's the pathway of blessing? Well, the first one is the broccoli principle. Broccoli, the, the vegetable. Broccoli. 
B-R-O-C-C-O-L-I, right? B-R-O-C-C-O-L-I, broccoli. Uh, so guys, be truthful with me here. How many of you guys have ever been, you know, you're probably in your boxers and, and you're laid back watching TV and you're munching your broccoli and your wife says, would you quit eating that broccoli? That's just too good for you. They might get on your case for crunching it. I could see that. How many, has, has there ever been a man in here who's ever been snapped at by his wife for eating his broccoli? That's the broccoli principle. The broccoli principle is, it's simple. You know it well. You live it every day. Everything that's good for you is hard. Everything that's bad for you is easy. Everything that's good for you is hard. Everything that's bad for you is easy. I mean, you don't get a great physique and get in shape for a marathon by lying on the couch sleeping. And your wife snaps at you for what? For eating too much ice cream. If you could see your belly, you wouldn't be eating that ice cream right now. It wasn't too long ago I heard that. But that's part of my prayer request for you because ever since I lost my kidney, my stomach is growing. So you've got to pray for me. So. You see what I'm saying here, though? Uh, the Word of God is broccoli. It's good for you. doesn't mean it's easy. We must move along and not have too much fun here at the end. Number two. The Bible is a book. It has small print and no pictures. Do we need to say any more about this? We are not a reading culture anymore, are we? There's not too big of a percentage. There are, there are readers. But, and I want to challenge men, especially men, don't like to read. And some of us have really hindered ourselves and hamstrung ourselves because we squandered our educational years and we don't read with comprehension very well. And that makes it difficult. But the Bible is a book with small print and no pictures. And it's to be read. And it makes it hard. Thirdly, there is a shift towards marginless living. Marginless lifestyle. You know you have margin on a book a page. They don't fill it with solid print. It overwhelms the eye. It overwhelms the brain. So you have breaks and paragraph breaks and margins. And if our life was a page, we do what? We don't have margin. We don't have breaks. We just fill every square inch of it. And so we're on the move all the time from soccer to dance to, to work to overtime to extra everything to grandma's to church. We don't have time to sit and read. And then when we do sit and read, what happens? We fall asleep because we're tired out. The insatiable appetite most of us have for entertainment is a problem as well. The insatiable appetite that most of us have for entertainment, largely visual entertainment. We don't have time to talk about it, but I'm going to tell you, there's significant studies being done right now of how the visual dumbs down the brain versus the written word on the page. There's a reason that God revealed truth to us in writing on a page. But it doesn't make it easier for you. But who said it was supposed to be easy? Finally, the negotiable value system with which we live. The negotiable value. What do we mean by that? It has to do with our mindset and our attitude. So on a certain day, we really 
believe that the Bible is key. We really believe that every word matters and we really believe that it must be obeyed. And then on another day, I'm pretty lazy about it and I'm pretty laid back about it. Young people and college students do this all the time. They know the truth, but they ignore it on a certain day. Well, today it's just not that important to me because why? Because I want to do this. And if I want to do this, then that trumps an overriding conviction system. And so our value system is fluid rather than a value where the Word of God is the key to where this is the priority of my life and everything else bows down to it. I don't bow down to everything else. And so my, my value system is non-negotiable. So a couple practical thoughts and then we're done. How then do I make it more meaningful as I read? And this is very simple and you can come up with your own ideas. And in fact, if you don't do this, no one will. No one can make you get into the book. It is a hard book. Trust me. First of all, you might, like any other book, just start reading it from the beginning. Start at the beginning. Maybe read the Old Old Testament and the New Testament concurrently from the beginning. I already suggested to get a Bible that you're willing to mark up and write in. A consistent time and place will be very helpful. To me, mine is 6.30. 6.30 a.m., I get my coffee, I go to the brown chair, that's my chair when Jonathan's not home, in the corner of the family room, no one else is up yet, and I have about the first 45 minutes, I have the luxury of not having to be at work until 8 o'clock, usually, and so I take about 45 minutes and I read the Word. A time and a place is very helpful. You know, it's as simple sometimes as just going to Sunday school class, though, and being faithful in church. If you want more of the Word of God in your life, then you've got to sit in the chairs here more every Sunday, not two out of four, not one out of three. Be faithful. Go to Tim Hellman's Sunday school class or whoever. Use a daily devotional plan like Our Daily Bread. They're on the back of the post in the foyer annex that has a little reading that's easy to read and practical to life. It's got a scripture passage to look up and it's got a key verse. Many of you know about it. It's a simple thing. There are many helps like that, tools like that. Use a contemporary translation of the Bible and read fast. Get an NIV or a modern translation and just read. Just keep reading. It's okay if you don't understand everything, but just keep reading it. The more you read, the better you'll get at it. Or maybe you're the kind of person that ought to get a study Bible and read slowly. There are many good study Bibles out there. The the MacArthur Study Bible, the NIV Study Bible. Excellent notes. And so you're going to read a few verses and then you're going to read the notes and then you're going to see there's another verse to look up and you're going to go slowly. That's okay. Download a daily reading plan. There are many good options. Get through the Bible in a year. Bible, you can actually get a Bible organized like that. You'll notice I gave you a website to go to, to the Grant, Dr. Grant Horner's. It sounds like, like a potion or something. Dr. Horner's elixir. It's a hard one. Take some time. I don't get through it in my 45 minutes most days. I'm doing this one right now. I've been doing it for about two months. I'm really enjoying it, and I'm finding something that is true. It's not always this way for me, and I'm the pastor that the more I've been reading this system, the more I've been wanting to read this system. It, it, it divides the Bible up. You go look it up. It's really good. And this is Rebecca Gans's brother, right? Brother-in-law? Brother-in-law. Yep, Rebecca Gans's brother-in-law is Dr. Horner. He's a professor at the Master's College and Seminary in California. I really like this one, but it's more detailed and it's going to take a little more time. 
get really serious and take an EPBI course. There's brochures in the foyer. Dr. Shupi's teaching the book of Romans. Audit it. You don't have to do the, do the tests. You can do it. Go sit in there and make a commitment. And I guarantee, even if you fail the class, you'll know the book of Romans better than when you started. It's worth it. Do that. Find a partner or a mentor that will help you read the Word of God. There are many other ideas. Will you stand with me, please? And let's bow our heads together. With your head bowed and your heart humble before the Lord right now, would you tell yourself the truth about the position of God's Word in your life today? Have you really been reading the Word? If it really is transformative, if it really is the key to blessing, how come we're not reading it? The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to reveal to us the will of God, and it grows us in our love for God. Let's read our Bibles. So help us, Father, we pray. We're not good at broccoli. We love ice cream. And so help us, Lord, I pray, to become more disciplined and to receive your word with the authority that it really is, to make it a priority in 2019. That's our prayer, and we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you go. Have a great week.
what a joy to welcome you to Fellowship Bible Church this morning. Thank you, Orchestra, for that great reminder that we are here to worship King Jesus. And I appreciate that so much. I trust that you've had a good holiday season. This is the first Sunday of the new year. And what a good morning for us to gather here early in January, the first Sunday of the year, uh, to remind ourselves of our great God and our Lord Jesus Christ and the priority of the Word of God in our lives as well. I want to take just a minute and welcome anybody who might be here for the very first time. Uh, We are so thankful for folks to find their way into Fellowship Bible Church. There's a yellow card in the chair back in front of you, and if you're comfortable with leaving a little bit of information with us that's helpful to us, it will get you a little letter from me thanking you for being here. It's helpful for us with our three services to track newcomers if you'll take time to fill that out and check off the appropriate information. As always, a reminder as well that that yellow card is a communication card. It's a way to communicate to the office, to any of the pastors. Just put our name on there. And if you need to, if something general, you can put that in the offering basket. 